Our practice is a practice in meditation, and of course meditation is a training for life. Our practice is a practice in meditation and in life of coming to the present moment. So what does this mean? It means coming out of where we typically are, which isn't in the present moment, as the Buddha called that state of not being present a state of becoming. That which is becomes something else. The present moment becomes something else. Uh, Typically, when we're not present, we're in thought worlds, we're preoccupied with uh, external sense experience. So our practice is a practice of coming out of these states of becoming, coming out of thought worlds, and coming to the body, coming to the body. It's how we bring ourselves into the present moment by coming to the body and so being mindful of the body, putting the mind on the body, uh, remembering the body is how we come into the present moment. So that remembering means I'm going to remember to put my attention on the body. Of course, we begin with the breath. Mindfulness of the body begins with mindfulness of the breath. In the Buddhist teaching on mindfulness, as he outlines it in the Satipatthana Sutta, So we begin by being mindful of the breath. We remind ourselves to keep the mind on the breath. Uh, We remind ourselves of why we're doing that, Uh, our intention. We're doing that out of compassion, being involved in thought worlds, uh, preoccupied with sense experience. There's suffering, there's dukkha. Out of compassion for ourselves, out of our wish to be free from suffering, we keep the mind on the breath. Uh, We cultivate an easeful breath. The mind will incline to that which is easeful. So when we start off, the breath isn't oftentimes, most of the time, very easeful at all. It's, it's riddled with stress. So we learn how to cultivate an easeful breath, a place where the mind will uh, want to stay. Uh, so in order to stay present, we have to bring ourselves into the present moment and then cultivate a place in the present moment where the mind will want to stay, so we cultivate an easeful breath and then an easeful abiding in the body. An easeful abiding in the body, a pleasurable abiding in the body. When the body is filled with ease and pleasure, that's when the mind really becomes uh, likely to stay in the present moment. Uh, It's content with being right here in the present moment. So the more we developed the more developed we are in our practice, the more uh, we train ourselves. It's a training, right? It's a training. So the more we train ourselves uh, to be with the breath and to be in the body, the more we're able to stay in the body, the more the mind is in the body. Not just in meditation, of course, but the Buddha's first instruction is to train ourselves in meditation to be in the body, but then his next instruction in the Satipatthana Sutta is to maintain that mindfulness in all of our postures and all of our activities. The more we're able to maintain mindfulness of the body and keep the mind in the body, uh, the more we're able to be connected to the heart. So the more the mind is in the body, the closer we are to the heart. As concentration develops over time, awareness converges at the heart. So. Uh, And when we talk about the heart, we're talking about this place of innate wisdom. We all have an innate wisdom. 
which will see us through. That's the thing that's going to see us through in this life. And, and, and that's what knows what it is that we need to do to know happiness. That's what can understand what we're doing that's leading us away from happiness towards suffering and can understand our potential for happiness and can guide us towards happiness. Uh, not the mind, but the heart. The mind. We use the mind to get into the body so that we can be connected to the heart. The more we're in the body, the closer we are to the heart. So our practice is being more and more in the body, more and more in the body, more and more in the body. The more we're in the body, the more our awareness converges right at the heart, right at the heart. And of course, this is, this is a challenging journey, this journey that we're making to the body, the journey that we're making to the present moment. Uh, we typically don't want to be present. We don't want to be in the present moment, which means, of course, we don't want to be in the body. Uh, our experience of the body, uh, uh, the way that we perceive the body, the way that we perceive thusly the present moment, is uh, as being uh, a place that's inhospitable. It's unpleasant terrain, the body, the present moment. Uh, if we consider the body, you know, there's physical pain in the body, right? Even in today's setting, everybody here had some experience in the body uh, on a physical level, purely physical level, that was probably unpleasant. Uh, even generally more uh, uh, unappealing to us, disagreeable to us, is the emotional dissonance in the body. Mm -hmm. So everybody here, whether or not we were aware of it, uh, had, has uh, some emotional dis-ease in the body. And then, of course, you know, as part and parcel of that emotional stress, you know, there's this existential uh, stress that we carry uh, with regard to the body and its nature, which is, of course, to get sick, to age, and to die. Mm -hmm. So uh, our attitude towards the body, uh, and thusly towards the present moment, uh, tends to be aversive. We view the body, we perceive the body, we experience the body as being disagreeable, unpleasant, a place where we don't want to be. And of course, what we do is go look, go looking for a satisfactory experience outside of the body. So we're looking on the phone, we're looking on the television, we're looking wherever it is we're looking outside of the experience of the body and thusly outside the experience of the present moment for, experience, for something that's agreeable. So we're at odds with our experience. We're at odds with our experience. We're at odds with our bodies. We're at odds with our human experience in terms of our minds and the emotional content of the body. We're at odds with our exist existence, our existential reality of the body and the present moment. So this is kind of a dilemma because 
You know, in order to be present, we need to be in the body. In order to know uh, happiness, we need to be in the body so that we can be close to the heart. So that we can be close to the heart. Uh, in order to be able to be connected to our innate wisdom and to live with compassion and loving kindness, we need to be in the body because that's where we find the heart. We need to be closer to the heart. Uh, but we're at odds with our experience of the body. So how do we make this, this journey to the body, this journey to the present moment? How do we make this journey uh, to uh, the body so that we can be with our experience, so that we can be with ourselves? We can be with ourselves. So in the Buddha's design, of course, he doesn't ask us to go right to the body. Go right to the body. First, he asks us to uh, develop uh, an attitude of appreciation, an attitude of joy, an attitude of brightness toward ourselves and our human experience that we can bring to this process of coming to the body. So what he asks us to do is to develop our goodness, develop our good qualities, and then to reflect on our goodness to reflect on uh, the goodness around us in the world. So this leads to gratitude, to a quality of appreciation, uh, an appreciation for ourselves and for the world, uh, which begins to lead us more and more to the body and make the experience of the body and the present moment more agreeable to us. So, you know, it's very important to understand the Buddhist teachings, you know, and, 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 and you know, again, it, you know, if we want to be able to achieve what is very achievable for all of us, uh, it really kind of behooves us to follow the instruction. We talked about this last week, you know, that, that classical metaphor that the Buddha gave of squeezing the cow's horns and expecting milk, you know. Uh, his instructions are very clear. Develop your goodness, and then reflect on your goodness. So the reflection on our goodness is an important step in the process. It's actually a separate step. It's not just develop your goodness. Reflect on your goodness. Reflect on the goodness of others in the service of cultivating appreciation, brightness, appreciative joy. So this reflection on our goodness is so important to the practice, so important to the practice, so important to meditation, so important, of course, and meditation is our training ground for life, so important for life uh, and the way that we are in the world. And, you know, this isn't, this isn't the inclination of our minds. You know, this isn't the inclination of our minds. This isn't the way that we've trained ourselves to think. And this isn't the way that we've been trained to think, to reflect on our goodness. At least I find, particularly in the West, uh, you know, we, we don't reflect on our goodness. It's something that's very hard for us. It's something that's counter-cultural 
for us to reflect on our goodness. So it's something that we have to put effort into. It's something that we have to put effort into. This reflection on our goodness leads again and the goodness around us in the world. So our reflection on goodness that leads to brightness in the mind that leads to us being able to uh, come to the body and begin to cultivate ease and pleasure in the body so that we really want to stay in the body. First, we have to feel good about this process of like, why do I want to be in the body? You know, I don't like the body, you know. Well, you can cultivate ease. Uh, I don't know, I don't, but first I still have to get to the body. We have to feel good about ourselves, good about our present moment experience, good about the world if we want to uh, make this effort. So we learn to reflect on our goodness. This leads to a feeling of gratitude, you know, this quality of uh, appreciating our goodness, which leads to this quality in the heart of joy, uh, this quality of joy or brightness in the heart, the Buddha said, is the proximate cause of concentration. So again, his instructions are very clear on this. So the mind tends to be dark in terms of the way that we regard ourselves and the world. Our habitual ways of thinking tend to be negative as regards ourselves and the world. You know, our cultural karma, if you will, tends to be negative. You know, the messages that we hear, which are often quite loud, are, you know, are, are negative messages about the world and the way things are in the world. You know? The ways that we think about ourselves. You know? Doesn't mean that there aren't negative things in the world or negative things about ourselves that we need to change. Doesn't mean that. What we're talking about is what are we going to think about? What are we going to think about? How are we going to incline our minds? Doesn't mean that we're ignoring the things that are negative in the world. It means we're training ourselves so that our hearts can be open and that we can relate to the way the world is in the most skillful, compassionate, and loving way. Yeah. And this has to begin with you know, being able to train ourselves to think about ourselves you know, uh, and the world uh, in terms of being able to perceive the goodness in ourselves, to perceive the goodness in the world. Because there is goodness in us and there is goodness in the world. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, don't, we don't deny that either. Yeah. And we're cultivating our appreciation for that goodness. So the mind is dark, we're bringing some brightness to the mind. Now, this is essential to staying present. This is essential to staying present. There needs to be brightness in the mind. So our practice uh, in meditation is, you know, and again, of course, that's just the template for how we live our lives, is uh, a practice of uh, developing a bright mind. So we learn and I, you know, of course, I've been suggesting this for years and years and years, you know, in every meditation, begin by reflecting on your blessings. You know, and I always kind of kid around with that. Uh, uh, at least you're doing, you know, it's not really kidding around, but, you know, you're doing it once a day at least. 
you know, to me, you need to do it more than once a day, but at least you're setting the tone, you're doing it once a day, you're training the mind to reflect on your goodness and the goodness in the world. So the Buddha teaches these four categories of goodness that we learn to reflect on, and it always begins with ourselves. Now, every day you don't have to reflect on each of these categories of goodness. In the sitting today, I really went through it in quite a bit of detail, you know, and it took almost 10 minutes to do that. And typically, you're not going to do that in such an elaborate way, but you can touch into one or two of the categories and reflect on your goodness every day before you meditate at the beginning of your meditation and hopefully at other points during the day. So the first category is our own goodness, uh, and classically in the teachings, that is found in our merit, our generosity, our virtue, the way that we practice ethical conduct, practice non-harming, and the effort that we make in, the, in practicing the Dharma, in training the mind, in meditating, in, as the Buddha teaches, abandoning what's unskillful and cultivating what's skillful the determination that we show. That's the first category. So we learn to reflect. It's very important to reflect on our own goodness and on our, on our merit. Second category is the goodness of others, other beings. You know, classically, it's, it's the Buddha and the Sangha, which is the monks and the nuns. It's our teachers. It's our parents. Uh, it's our Dharma friends. You know, this is why when we come and meditate in a group and when we meditate together, the mind tends to be brighter and concentration is stronger. People oh, why do when I come to a group is my meditation so much stronger? It's because the mind is bright, because you're being supported by the goodness of others, you know, and your recognition of the goodness of others is palpable. You know, you, you, you have a you have a felt sense of that because you're with others. It's not even like you have to look around and say, oh, look at the goodness of others. It's right there. It's right there. I mean, that's good if you do that, but it's right there. The mind is bright and concentration is stronger. So the mind is always brighter, in most cases, for most people, when you meditate with others. That's why meditation is always stronger when you meditate with others. But when you meditate by yourself, you can reflect on these beings who are here today and other beings that you've practiced with, and your teachers, and the Buddha, and the monks, and the nuns. This is very important. And we reflect on the blessing of the Dharma, the teachings, the opportunity that we've had to be able to practice the Dharma, which is said to be a very rare opportunity. The Buddha said very few people will ever hear these teachings. Very few people will ever really truly practice in accord with the teachings. And then the fourth category is the blessing of life, the preciousness of life, the gift. I mean, these are the gifts that we've been given. The recognition of these gifts and seeing them as, a gift, as gifts and as blessings leads to the feeling of gratitude. I've spoken about this many times, you know, uh, the challenges that I always had with cultivating gratitude uh, in my life, and I always knew that it was, uh, or had been told that it was a, a very worthy uh, quality, uh, but I never, I never knew, you know, and I tried to cultivate it, but I always found that 
uh, the ways that I was trying to cultivate it or the ways that it was taught to me to cultivate gratitude just never really worked for me. And then I, I literally stumbled on the teachings of the, this teaching of the Buddha where he teaches us to develop gratitude and it was like it just totally clicked in for me. There's these four things. There's these four things. And if you keep to these four things, you'll learn to cultivate gratitude and this quality of appreciation. So we reflect. You know, reflecting, you know, we're using thinking. We're using thinking. Internal verbal fabrication. We use the head to get to the heart. So we're learning to change the way that we think. We're learning to change the way that we think. We're actively, through this process, changing the way that we think. If you want to get neuroscience, uh, you know, if you want to bring in that, you know, we're changing the neural pathways. The Buddha didn't talk about changing the neural pathways. What he said was, all that we are begins with our thoughts. All that we are begins with our thoughts. Our capacity for happiness in this life, for being able to stay in the present moment, and to be able to be closer to the heart, to be connected to our innate wisdom, depends on learning to think in a skillful way. You know, it doesn't matter how much you meditate. You could meditate every day for five hours from now for the next 20 years. If you don't learn to think in a skillful way, it's not going to really make any difference. It's not going to make any difference. People don't understand this. They think, oh, all I have to do is meditate. You know, if you're meditating like I did for years, hating the meditation, hating yourself, hating life, hating the world in the meditation, you know, maybe you'll get a little bit of calmness, a little bit, you know, once I learned that meditation was all about the way that you think and learning to think in a different way, it completely changed. So, you know, people spend all this time meditating, and this is why we strongly advise against not using meditation apps, because you're not training yourself to think. You're not building new neural pathways by listening to somebody else. 90% of it, which is not really that useful anyway, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of the way that it's training you to think. That's a little bit of a side comment. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, you have to learn to think. The only way that you can train the mind is by thinking in a skillful way. The Buddha gives you those templates that you can follow. So we're learning to think in a skillful way. Your capacity for happiness depends on learning to think in a skillful way. Now, the, another argument against this is, is well, I just I'm meditating so that I don't think. Yeah. So you know, maybe you're thinking less in meditation, but the mind thinks. That's what the mind does. The mind thinks. You know, they've done all this research in neuroscience. Uh, the mind, thinking is the default state of the mind. The mind is going to think. You're either going to think skillful thoughts or unskillful thoughts. You're going to thought, think thoughts that are going to take you away from the heart or toward the heart. The mind is going to think. So we're, we're giving the mind good food. We're training the mind to think in a skillful way. The mind thinks. Meditation is not about negating thinking. And maybe we're thinking a little bit less, a little bit less. At higher levels of meditation, you're actually thinking quite a bit. The, the difference is, is all you're thinking is skillful. 
It's all about the breath, you know, and cultivating ease and cultivating concentration and putting aside uh, mental qualities that are unskillful. All your thinking is in that effort, but you're thinking. So we're training ourselves to think in a skillful way. Again, most of us are the way that we think about ourselves and what we, the way we think about the world is less than skillful and tends to be negative. We tend to be at odds with ourselves and our human experience. You know, I've often told that story about the way that my mind was, uh, you know, by its nature uh, and how I had to train myself uh, and over time was able to do that. Uh, thank God, thank the Buddha. Uh, I haven't told the story in a while, though most of you are familiar with it. Maybe a lot of you are familiar with it, uh, but maybe there's some people who haven't. So in the service of telling, uh, telling stories, which is how we kind of offer our teachings in many ways, uh, one of the stories that I've often told uh, is the story about uh, when I was uh, 18 years old and I had like my first real job. You know, I was still in high school, but I had my, it was my first real job. You know, before that I had like kind of cut lawns and things like that. And this was my first job, and I was I was working in Times Square store on uh, on Montauk Highway in West Babylon. There's probably at least one or two people here who maybe were in that store. I see one of them with a wry smile on her face. Uh, ironically, I worked in the toy department. You know. Uh, so, uh, you know, I remember going and, you know, getting my badge, uh, you know, and, you know, my little smock with the name of the store on it and, uh, you know, showing up for work the first morning of my first day on the job and, uh, uh, you know, just brimming with enthusiasm and excitement as I was entering the world of work and, uh, and my manager was this guy, Nick, and, uh, you know, and I had met him kind of the day before when I got my smock and my badge, and I walked over to Nick, you know, and I was just so enthusiastic about, uh, you know, the, you know, starting off in, in, in my adult life, and uh, I walked over to him, and, you know, and he kind of looked at me, and spat on the ground, literally spat on the ground, and said, start of another shit day. You know, and that was kind of like the way that I was, you know? I mean, that was kind of my motto. I adopted that motto. I adopted that way of, you know, I mean, you know, most of my adult life, you know, until I, until I learned to think in a different way, until I learned to think in a different way, that was how I met life. You know, that was how I met the day. That was how I met my meditation. Start of another shit day. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about that is, is you're going to keep on keeping on with regard to the ways that you think about the world and the ways that you think about yourself, you know, unless you change that. You know, the only way that's going to change is if you proactively change the way that you're thinking. It's not even going to change by listening to me. 
It's not going to change. That'll help you because that will guide you towards what you need to do. But what you need to do is actively and proactively train yourself to think in a different way. So I learned to do that in the meditation. Because when I would sit down to meditate, it would be, ah, this is going to be terrible. This is going to be awful. I'd walk into the meditation hall at Inside Meditation Society. I would be dreading it. Dreading it. And, you know, I only got so far in my practice. I only got so far. Once I learned to change the way that I was thinking, and, you know, the thing about thinking is you can change the way that you think. You can change the way that you think. Sankara, internal fabrication, is impermanent. You can think whatever it is that you want to think. If what you think resonates with the heart, then that's an indication, you know, and you'll begin to start to sense that, you know, that will lead you to the heart. So it's really, you know, and I've said this many times, I mean, I really learned to change the way that I think in terms of my life uh, and myself by training myself in the meditation. You know, the meditation is the training ground. So I made a commitment to myself years ago, years ago, that every time I meditated, I would brighten the mind. You know? and, and you know, and I, it's it's like I made a vow really, and and I stuck with that vow. And you know, and I. I mean, I, it's it's would be really I'd be really hard pressed to think about when I've meditated. You know, we're talking about thousands and thousands of times of meditation when I haven't brightened the mind before I I meditated, even if it's just a word or two to brighten the mind. So we we train ourselves in the meditation to think in a skillful way to reflect on our blessings, the blessing of our goodness and the goodness around us, and of course. This leads us to being able to do that in all postures, in all of our activities. So we're learning how to think, we're learning how to fabricate in a different way. Uh, and as our meditation gets stronger, so you know, as we learn to brighten the mind, uh, the meditation gets stronger, concentration becomes stronger, which means that we're able to maintain ourselves in the present moment as we go throughout the course of our days. Our natural meditation develops, in other words. Uh, and then more and more, we're able to reflect as we go throughout the course of our days. We're slowed down enough. The river of karma has slowed down enough so that when we're in our days, we're able to proactively choose to think skillfully. So when we're in all of our postures, we're able to proactively choose to think skillfully. It's a choice that you make. It's a choice that you make. I mean, every time you think, it's a choice that you're making. It's an action that you're taking. It's considered action. Thoughts arise. Whether or not you pursue those thoughts is up to you. It's a choice that you're making, or you can engender thoughts. So your thinking is really up to you. You know, so we're slowing ourselves down enough in the meditation so that as we go throughout the course of our day, we can shape our minds. We can shape our minds so that we can be more in the body and closer to the heart and closer to our innate wisdom so that we can know happiness in this life. So, you know, it's not, it's not so easy to, to brighten the mind and to cultivate 
uh, appreciative joy and to train the mind in this way. Uh, it requires, you know, and I know this from, you know, working with you all over the years, how much of a challenge it can be. I know that it's a challenge. The hardest thing that there is to do is to train the mind. You know? But it can be done. It can be done. The Buddha said, I, you can train the mind. You can abandon the unskillful and cultivate the skillful. I wouldn't teach this to you if I could not be done. I wouldn't teach it to you if it, wouldn't, if it wasn't for your long-term welfare. It requires determination. You know, it's a gradual process. At first, you may not notice much. When you do begin to notice that the mind is brighter in meditation, it's subtle. It's a subtle shift. It's a subtle shift. First, you may not notice it, but it doesn't mean that it's not happening. Or you may notice it just as a subtle shift in the body, or as a subtle shift in the mind that's moving from this isn't okay to this is okay, and life is okay. As we deepen in our ability to acknowledge our goodness, we, as we deepen in our recognition of our goodness, we come, become more inclined to be present because we, we know, we understand. You know, we understand. I mean, the heart understands that you have this basic goodness, what the Tibetans call the basic goodness. The heart understands that. The mind is, no, 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 no. As you learn to recognize it, as that truth comes, goes straight to the heart, uh, we know uh, that we have a goodness and that there is a goodness in life and we become more inclined to be in the present moment, to be in the body, to be closer to the heart so that we can be more in tune with our goodness. The Buddha said, you know, when you're doing this practice, you're becoming in tune with the Dhamma. You know, so we become more inclined to be present so that we can be more in tune with our goodness, more in tune with the goodness in life. We become more inclined to stay in the body with the breath because we understand there is a goodness, there is a brightness in the world. And we understand that by being present, by being in the body, by staying with this breath, this breath right now is the way to know this goodness. <clears throat> 